0: Welcome to today's episode on life in the front office. I'm your host, Jake Kirschman here with co-host Andy Dolich and our fantastic guest and Steve Beckfar, the executive director of the ALS Association of the Greater San Diego chapter. And Steve's got a tremendous career throughout sports. He's an Ohio Bobcat, actually double Ohio Bobcat, uh, I should mention. And then, you know, we're gonna talk about giving back. I think there's kind of this theme throughout uh, Steve's career where he's always had that at the forefront of his mindset. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about how you might be able to adopt a little bit of what Steve's learned along the way um, and ultimately, you know, going from the competitive game on the court to just a competitive game of life. Uh, so, Steve, welcome.
1: Hey, Jake, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. What an honor to, to be included on the podcast and, you know, certainly uh, ALS is kind is kind of has a sports Kind of connotation to it, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, it's an honor to be here today. Thank you so
0: much. Absolutely. Andy, you know, you and Steve go back to the Grizz. Uh, why don't you kick it off with uh, where you guys left off in Memphis?
2: Well, of course, as you know, Jake, we tip it off in hoop. We don't kick it off in hoop. Um, always got to keep your words correct. What we like to do, Steve, Uh, Because everybody's journey is different. So um, if you could uh, give the quick GPS of how you've moved through your career, what were the sort of aha moments that got you through being a quality player, then OU, the sports management program, then starting in the business, our time together, launching an NBA team in a market that never had a major professional team, and then to... ALS, that would really be helpful because so many people, as we know, just say, oh, I want to be the general manager of that NFL team, or I want to be the PR director of X. Like, well, wait a second. Think a bit larger on where your career might take you. And you've had as, as many quality stops along the way as most.
1: Well, again, thank you, Jake. Thank you, Andy. You know, if there is one consistent theme of you know, developing partnerships for sports and working in a team environment, you know, when I think of the relationships I know that that have been built for me along the way. And I think of Ohio U specifically, you know, moving to Memphis, for example, and, and being part of the XFL definitely had some Ohio U relationships built into that. But the XFL, of course, uh, 20 plus years ago, didn't quite work out so well. And fortunately for me, the uh, relocation of the Vancouver Grizzlies to Memphis opened up another level of Ohio connectivity. Um, of course, Andy, with your leadership with, with the Memphis Grizzlies and, and a variety of folks that worked for the Grizzlies that had Ohio
2: U connections. Yeah, we had a starting lineup, Jake. I don't know what the max is, which would be a good question back to the geniuses in Athens, which team at one time had the most OU grads. I don't know that at one time we had five at the same time in in the grid's front office. So that's the starting five of amazing power.
0: Yeah, I mean, you'd have to get to 11 at the max if you if you wanted to throw a football team out there. So I, I don't know, that's yeah. maybe more like flag football, seven on seven sort of thing, but- I don't
2: know. know, we'll wait for somebody to kick back at us in our audience, but we had five. Well, you know, going back to to
1: those partnerships and 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 those relationships, you know, in my role, even with the Grizzlies, building sponsorships and partnerships, the one thing that, that always felt really great was, and Andy led this philosophical charge. And when you're in Memphis, tying into St. Jude Children's Hospital, every partnership that we had, every relationship that we built with our community partners had a tie-in to St. Jude Children's Hospital you know, working and and furthering that uh, at San Diego State, for example, as the associate AD for external, you know, we we partnered, for example, with McDonald's and then brought the McDonald's high school basketball game to San Diego um, would have been back in 2006. That was Kevin Durant, Greg Oden, Conley, that group, you know, but again, funding supporting the local Ronald McDonald House. So, you know, St. Jude, Jude Children's Hospital, you know, Ronald McDonald House, you know, working at the University of San Diego and bringing awareness to ALS at a basketball game. You know, those, those kind of opportunities to impact a community is, have always felt great to me. And, and you know, very fortunate, uh, I guess, six years ago to be recruited to lead, you know, the local chapter of the ALS Association. And it was termed to me as, as a mom and pop organization that we needed to try to get it to maturity and I felt like with sports and to be able to lead this organization, um, what a great opportunity. Now, I'll say this, and Andy was, we, we communicated through this. You know, I start my job at the ALS Association, and like a day later, the Ice Bucket Challenge kicked in, which became a whole nother level of, of social media engagement that was even beyond my comprehension. Uh, but the Ice Bucket Challenge brought tremendous awareness and visibility
2: for, a, for an orphan disease like ALS and um well becky know, isn't i mean the ice bucket challenge is the number one without question specific fundraiser for any entity in the history of fundraisers right certainly, certainly for facebook andy i mean that that was the biggest
1: social media phenomena for facebook in terms of, of fundraising for for this again association this nonprofit. hundred and you know 95 million domestically over 200 million globally the awareness, the attention. There were a lot of people that did the ice bucket challenge that weren't exactly sure what they were doing it for, um, but they were tossing ice, creating awareness, crazy, creating this this noise, and um, it came at the right time. We needed a lot of help at that point to, you know, keep the awareness level for ALS high. Um, ALS is not a disease that that impacts many people. It's known as an orphan disease. That's again, two hundred thousand people or less, and ALS is actually 20,000 that are impacted. So it's an orphan orphan disease and uh, does have a kind of a sports kind of affiliation um, and a military affiliation living here in San Diego, uh, which is a great military community. And I'm often asked, you know, about that relationship with ALS. And it's unfortunate if you're a veteran, if you've served our country, unfortunately, you're twice as likely to get ALS than the general population. And I've been asked, you know, why and what's the deal? And you know, and I've been told stress, physicality, and exposure of serving uh, our, in our military. Uh, and, and that's about all we know. And and, and so it's a difficult disease to, to, to manage and do research for, but uh, we're working hard to try to accomplish a lot of things. And sports has kind of, you know, kept my circle of influence uh, within this disease and has provided some great opportunities. Uh, working with the Mountain West Conference, for example, we've got a great partnership with the Mountain West through, you know, former head coach, Steve Fisher. Unfortunately, his son Mark has ALS has been living with the disease now for about nine years, but you know, when you're diagnosed with ALS, uh, it's, it's challenging. Typically you're given a two to five year life expectancy and, and, uh, and 90% of the folks that are diagnosed with ALS have no family history. It's sporadic. It's out of the blue. It can strike anybody.
0: Steve, when you think about working in sports and Andy kind of mentioned it earlier, you know, you want to be GM of this team or president of that team. And there's, you're always chasing the next thing, right. But with the people that you work with and the families and, and the things that you've been able to witness and see and help others from a perspective standpoint, what's one thing that those us, of us working in sports can take from what you've learned on how to maybe focus on the present more uh, understand, you know, it's not just a logo, right, of, of who you work for, but it's also what, and most organizations stand for, to your point, with the Grizzlies and St. Jude, right? What are you truly doing for the community as a staple um, in that community?
1: You know, that's, that's really a great question, Jake. And I think for all the professionals out there that lead sports organizations that provide the kind of community efforts to, to really tie into a community, and many of them do a great job, and, and we did that in Memphis with the Grizzlies, built the, the Memphis Grizzlies house on the campus of St. Jude, led by Andy and, and the efforts that- uh, Mike Heisley
2: to... and Tom Penn and all of our players there, and there, you there was, and every, everybody in the organization. It was a no doubter on the
1: philosophy. And for those families that get impacted by a disease or a cancer or something that they can't control to get comfort knowing that there's going to be a place they can stay at no cost and get the kind of support that they need during a really difficult and challenging time. And I go back to Memphis and I think about all the different outreach um, initiatives that we did to reach out into the community on so many different levels. And I think so for the leadership in the sports environment, to be able to work with nonprofits, to be able to work with community uh, agencies that need help, that's taking the high road, Jake. And, And I think to be now on the other side of it and see it that way, it's wonderful. And to see the kind of support that we get from the sports organizations
2: that uh, want to tie into what to what we do here in, in St. It's incredible timing. I'm glad we scheduled this to today um, because uh, we've talked about St. Jude, and everybody's by this time probably seen the inspiration for project that they have with Elon Musk and Jared Isaacman. Well, Becky, I had an earlier email exchange with Steel Ford at Alsec about an hour ago. uh, ALSAC is their fundraising arm at St. Jude. And only because I wanted to know what they were doing, Isaac has made a $200 million personal commitment, personal commitment to St. Jude. Wow. Today, on the Today Show, the Today on the Today Show, sorry for that redundancy, they introduced the first of four crew members. I don't know if you saw this, Steve, a young cancer survivor who is now a physician's assistant at St. Jude. She dedicated her life to St. Jude, and she was chosen this morning as one of the four people that are going up with Jared Isaacman. And so, as Becky was talking about it, we've seen the world of sports go way past cosmetics. And you've heard me say this, ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to Center Court where Steve Backfar is getting like, hey, that's wonderful, that's terrific. But we're talking about trying to conquer a disease. We're trying to make sure that childhood cancers go away. That's gonna take a lot more than a $10,000 check. And and when you were talking about the Ice Bucket Challenge and, and you know we shared this, I was doing some commentary for NBC Sports Bay Area, and I convinced everybody at that outlet to do the Ice Bucket Challenge, right? So everybody in the regional sports, all the on-air personalities, the athletes, we did that, right? So we ended up adding to it. And to me personally, I had become friends with Dwight Clark in the three years that I worked for the Niners. And Dwight Clark, is, was, always will be one of the coolest human beings of all time. And then to see ALS take him over time, just, you know, beyond tragic. But he handled it so gracefully. And I, I believe helped ALS, as did Eddie de Bartolo. That's what brings the family together, right, Becky? You know, it's it's
1: heartbreaking uh, what these families go through, Andy. And, and when you think of ALS, you know, to think that your mind is fine your ability to think is fine but physically you start to to progress in a in a way that limits your abilities and you know it may start without being able to tie your shoe or button your shirt and it just gets progressively worse it takes a while for a doctor to diagnose als typically it's a year it's a process of elimination it's not a pin prick or a blood test it's you know so that als diagnosis you know, I've had a family and, and I hear this through and through t- tell me before their official diagnosis that they were praying it was cancer, you know, that it would be something that they could fight because ALS, yeah, you fight, but because there's no cure, you know, you know what the outcome is going to be. And, you know, I mentioned the 90% of those that get it sporadically. There's a 10% that's familial, genetic, and that's a whole nother discussion. And in, in when it runs through a family and what families go through, and and they and it passes down to children, that's a difficult uh, discussion. But, you know, sports, taking the high road, having the ability to, to work with the Alzheimer's, to work with the cancer societies, the, you know, when you think of Jimmy V and the impact that, that he has made on, on cancer through sports um, is amazing. And I think for us with ALS, the Dwight Clarks, you know, there's other sports icons. You know, Steve Gleason, uh, football player, New
2: wow. Orleans Saints. He's, he's beyond. Comp- I mean, <laughs> can't comprehend what that guy is all about.
1: You know, eight nine years now with ALS, and and still with us, with great spirit, with great inspiration. His family. Um, it's 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 tough, but you know, he, last year I think he won the Congressional Medal. You know, only two civilians get it a year for inspiration and, and what they mean to a community. And, and Steve Gleason is just an amazing example of, of never giving up. And, uh, but again, the sports tie-in
2: to this disease is pretty evident. You've seen it and we've talked about it and you've lived it on multiple levels, teamwork, leadership, and trust, right? Agreed. Have two of them and be successful. You can't have one, you gotta have all three whether winning games on the court or trying to bring people together to beat back ALS or COVID or anything else. And it seems easy, but boy, is it hard. You know, it is
1: Andy. And, and when you go back to the origins of the ice bucket challenge, let's not forget that the, these were guys that, that were baseball guys in particular, Pete Fradies was a all American baseball player at Boston college. And really it was his network, you know, that, that, Kind of kicked in in the Boston market that provided this like exponential support you know for ALS and and uh, it was kind of described to me as, as kind of a football play with these three gentlemen Anthony Siracha didn't have the the cachet he was the center basically he snapped the football and a, and a guy named Pat Gwynn Pat Quinn, Gwyn took the football and then he handed it off to Pete Frates, who scored the touchdown for visibility these three guys put ALS on the map with the Ice Bucket Challenge six years ago, and people still talk about it. Definitely hard to duplicate uh, because it was so organic, uh, not made up by an ad agency. You know, these guys just put it together, social media driven uh, through these channels, and and uh, it was it was definitely you know quite an amazing experience for me to go through, and to and and when I think of even in San Diego, how much support came forward, you know domestically, nas- internationally, but even here in San Diego, it was off the chart special, and, and we're still seeing good residual.
2: And, and you literally think about it, just went through my mind, as something as basic as the ice bucket challenge, right? I would freeze your butt off, have been, having been a target. And now, with all due props to Jared Isaacman, oh, yeah, we're going into space. We're going into outer space on a rocket ship. Like that's some growth in in fundraising, right? Buddy? Just just a bit. You know, we always talk about thinking big. That that I don't know how much bigger you can think than that. That's large, yes. Well, we're gonna do the ice bucket challenge on Mars, right? <laughs> that's right. Why not? Is there is there ice on Mars, Andy? There's ice on Mars, but I don't know if the gravity would it ever hit the person, or is it just going to? I don't. Yeah.
0: There is way
2: Becky. We need to talk to NASA, right? They have headquarters about a half a mile from me. We'll go talk to them. I'll I'll be up, Andy, anytime.
0: Steve, I'm I'm no scientist, but if you're going to get to Mars, I'm sure they got to figure. They have a way of getting the ice to stay ice while getting to Mars. I'm sure they can figure that out. Uh, You're only going to hear
2: this on Life in the Front Office. You're not hearing this on other podcasts around.
0: No, no, not at all, Steve. I, I have to ask though. The, the goals. Um, I know that's one of Andy's favorite teams and that was kind of your last stop before ALS. Um, what's something that you were able to take from a minor league hockey team? Again, kind of switching past here, but again, every experience is unique, right? And so what was something you were able to take from the minor league hockey team to then into the nonprofit world?
1: You know, what a, what an amazing, uh, you know, team, the Gulls tied into the Anaheim Ducks, you know, very fortunate to have a pipeline from San Diego up to Anaheim player recognition. Um, and, and honestly, having not worked in hockey before is fascinating. Uh, so, you know, I take it, you know, like the Grizzlies launched in Memphis, the Gulls launched, launched in San Diego. Now, now of course the games are in the old sports arena, a very old facility. You know, that uh, you know, we did our best to modify and, and add a new scoreboard and and it took a lot of work. Now the concourse is pretty slim. There were some issues that first night uh, when we launched with with how many fans we had in there and the and the fog and and you know, definitely an older facility, maybe, maybe even a step below the pyramid in Memphis uh, in terms of, of usability, even though we figured out how to use the pyramid and we got to the FedEx forum. Uh, but, but the sports, some people say sports aroma, it's really the sports arena um, was a great experience to launch uh, the gulls in the marketplace. And, and uh, people love hockey in Southern California and, and having a great organization like Ducks right up the road really made it made it easy for us.
2: I never thought about it, but we had, I don't remember if you were still with the team then, but we had a flood because the pyramid was right near the big muddy, the Mississippi River. And as you know, I'm a pretty big fisherman. We literally had two or three live fish swimming in the flooded pyramid. And if Becky could have fast forwarded the gulls, it could have been the first time that a gull actually ate a live fish in the sporting <laughs> arena, right? I, I don't think anybody ever has had anything like that. Well, I mean, Andy, your, your dream yeah, of, yeah. of bass, a Bass Pro fishing shop. Uh, <laughs> oh that's another story uh did you ever hear that one
0: jake no we have that's oh. that'll be episode two i think we can see no i
2: just this will take 30 seconds okay. right now the pyramid is the largest bass pro shop in all the world in all the world correct steve that is correct that is absolutely and correct. <laughs> before the grizzlies moved to fedex forum i went to the people at bass pro and said hey um, could you turn the arena floor into a lake and we could do mini bass fishing tournaments at the at, um, the pyramid? And let's just say that didn't happen. Let's just say that didn't happen.
0: <laughs> hey, there's always room for more ideas. Some are good. Some are great. Some uh, we're going to do, do it. We're, we're going to do it. But... They can happen, just like the Ice Bucket Challenge. Um, Steve, I want to go back to your experience in Athens, because you mentioned something with ALS in terms of um, you know, it being more prevalent in those who have served for the country. And you went from Athens to the Air Force Academy, where you went from Athens, small, small town in Ohio, to probably the Academy might have been the same size as Athens uh if i'm not miss maybe even larger
1: you know it was uh an internship that drew me back to to the academy in colorado springs jake you know when when the uh internship book at that time went around you know and, and if i can remember the math right how many internships that were available and how many students we had didn't quite match up but you know you had to sign up for for any internship or any opportunity. Uh, through the sports administration program. And I was the only one that signed up uh, for the academy's internship, working in ticketing and promotions. Now I will say this, full disclosure, you know, three years prior to that, my parents, my dad retired from 30 years active duty army service and retired to Colorado Springs. Typically internships don't pay a whole lot. Um, This one actually paid a whopping 600 bucks a month. And and I I knew I had a place to stay and and I was comfortable on a military installation. I grew up on military installations uh, with the father being 30 years in the service. So it was intriguing to me to be able to work at a place like the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs Um, and I found a great opportunity in terms of their growth and my professional growth. It was a good match and and that internship internship led to a, a full time job and you know, Each year, it seemed like there was just more and more responsibility, and, and I felt the timing was great for me. Yes, I worked at the Academy for 14 years and eventually was executive director of the Blue and Silver Club, the fundraising arm for athletics, and, of course, associate AD for external affairs. So internship all the way up the food chain and, and with a great institution like the Academy.
0: Well, we definitely know that uh, you went from internship to full time, and you you definitely moved out at one between between internship and fourteen years. We we know that that happened, right?
1: Now I'll say so. I didn't stay with my parents those fourteen years, Jacob. That's what you're getting to. Yes, I, <laughs> yeah. No, it was a great uh, great great place for me in terms of growth, professional growth. Uh, the academy was going through a cycle of growth, and uh, you know the things that we were able to do there during that period of time, and and. Of course, football, you know, if, if you win, you know, if there's a successful football season is winning t- two football games, just make sure it's Army and Navy, you know, that you beat, you know, when you're there. Of course, we did more than that. But uh, beating Army and Navy was the number one goal. And I think during the 14, 15 years I was there, I think we won the Commander Chiefs Trophy, maybe 11 or 12 times, something like that. But uh, yeah, you know, leaving the Academy to, to kind of get started with the XFL to apply all those different sports administration experiences uh, was a, was a phenomenal uh, transition. Um, Didn't think or feel that the XFL would only last one year. You know, certainly liquidating, you know, an organization is no fun. We had a six week period of time where once the XFL closed down, we had to liquidate, you know, equipment and, and, and furniture and computers and, I mean, you name it, the full operation there at, at, at Liberty Bowl Stadium, where we had our offices, but during that, honestly, during that six week period of time is when the Vancouver Grizzlies uh, decided to relocate to, to Memphis and, and uh, so as I, as I was liquidating the, the opportunity to work with Andy and team up with Andy and, and others was there. Um, what a, what a great experience uh, to be able to launch an NBA team in a basketball hot market like Memphis. And, uh, and the rest is history. Uh, great, great experience.
0: What's, what's the biggest challenge now in, this, in the seat that you sit in, right? We, we kind of went through a lot of your different stops, fascinating experiences, a lot of fundraising, um, but there's gotta be a challenge, right? And, and obviously the, the disease itself is a challenge for the families that you're dealing with, but fundraising is not easy either. And getting people education, awareness, Um, You name it. What's the biggest challenge that you face fundraising for for ALS right now? And how can other people, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, giving back and that kind of being the spirit of the OU program in many sorts of fashions? How can people give back and, and, you know, what's your biggest challenge right now?
1: Yeah, of course. You know, a year ago, I might have answered this a little bit different Uh, year ago, we were planning all of our events for in person had really no idea or concept how things are going to change based on the pandemic and COVID. we we pivoted and we went virtual Uh, our walk was virtual our dinner event was virtual. Um, Our golf tournament last year in August, then got moved to, to this past January, the ALS association has a very unique fiscal year. Uh, We go one Feb through the end of January. So our golf tournament got moved to January 29th so we could get it under last year's fiscal calendar. Um, But would you know it, on January 29th, just three weeks ago, we had a major downpour of weather that week. It was during the Farmers Insurance Open. That Thursday and Friday for us was something you don't normally see here in San Diego. So we actually moved our golf event to last week, uh, the 19th, Friday and had a spectacular day. Um, and so, fundraising, Jake, to your point, big challenge. Hiring the right people that understand our culture, that understand what we're trying to build. Another huge thing, I, we've built a great team here in San Diego. Um, it didn't happen overnight. We've had some reorganization through the, the last five, six years, uh, but we've got a really great team, building team. Doesn't matter if it's an NBA team, a nonprofit team. You know just a business team that understands community um, that's connected networked and really wants to make a difference for this disease i've got a great team and um are we there yet no are we climbing absolutely are we doing great things i think so but we're not quite there yet but doing great things and you know it's really aligning ourselves you know with with community partners professional sports teams college sports teams businesses um and being very external and intentional and and organized in our efforts, and and it hasn't happened overnight. But uh, you know, every day I kind of think about you know the finances and risk. You know, where where can we again save money? I'll give you one example. You know, this past year, and my staff primarily worked from home. We still have our office in San Diego. We would not get together too enclosed of an environment, keeping distance and trying to be appropriate with our, our and, and mitigate, you know, this COVID, but my staff did a great job working from home. Our office lease is up in May. Do I renew our office lease? Do I trust the fact that our staff is going to continue to work from home for a while, or how, what's, do we save the money and apply it toward, you know, our, our patients and families? So we've got to take a look, you know, and now there are some grants that won't, they'll tell you, if you don't have a physical office location, don't think about applying for the grant because, so now I'm kind of going, well, we have to have an office, but so there's some- yeah, I mean, it's
2: changed so much where you don't have fans. I get to write some op-eds and this week in the Ultimate Sports Guide in Northern California, it's how sports venues now aren't seeing any fans, but they're seeing tens of thousands of cars drive through for people to be inoculated who would have possibly imagined that yeah and they're actually providing a quality service as sort of the last town squares left in cities that people um oh
1: my goodness one insight i would leave the listeners with is you know, really kind of a thank you and appreciation of, for those that do in leadership positions work hard and closely with, you know, not just ALS, but the, but the nonprofits that, that work extremely hard to provide the kind of services that help people. You know, it's it's uh, whether it's a partnership, whether it's a community outreach program, whether it's, you know, volunteerism from the employees of the organization, which again, I'll throw a plug in for the Grizzlies, you know, just amazing outreach uh, on behalf of St. Jude. You know, it's a kind of difference making opportunity, I think, that serves the, the organization well, not the one, just the recipient, but I think the, the professional organization that can supply support. Uh, so, a big thank you to those organizations that help nonprofits and people that, that need
0: assistance. Steve, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Always great to have you on. And uh, I I know I was joking about episode two earlier and and Andy told his story, but we can definitely have an episode two in the future. I
2: know, episode two, three, and four. I mean, there's too much stuff and we want an update on Steve's family and how the left hand is going. All that stuff is important. But... Steve, it's it's a, it's always great to see you and the work that you're doing and all the people on your team. Uh, we'll talk soon. Stay safe and sane. Thank you both so much. Great to be here.